G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, and those in life chat music and more. I'm John Murch. Thanks for being with us today. Tara Coates and Subrosa debut single was Mercy Me, followed up by Every Day Anyway, and their latest is Rain. With not a cloud in the sky, John spoke with Tara. Welcome to Radio Notes. Thanks for having me. Firstly, let's get a bit of background about you, as we do, those in music talking about life. Mm-hmm. When did music first enter your life? That is a really good question. I remember hearing um, my mum's record collection, mainly. She was into Bruce Springsteen and Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and... All the stuff that she used to play, I would go, oh, God, Mom. And then as I grew up, I retrospectively went, my mom is maybe the coolest person ever because that's a really good record collection. Well, let's look at the eclectic nature of those four <laughs> yes, artists, right? Yes, right. So we kind of get a feeling of the Boss Beatles at both ends there and mm-hmm. we can find a dome of that. But there's a few in there, the other two. Yeah, what is the eclectic connection, do you think, for your mother and those artists? She, and I inherited this from her, she is all emotion and feeling, but she would just completely scoff at that idea. She, but she, everything she loves, there's no real cerebral element to it. If it makes her feel good, she listens to it, and I kind of subscribe to that myself, actually. Do you get a feeling for her, and of course she's not here to speak for herself, that it was a lyrical? Yeah. There's a lyric, but also she needs a beat. She needs something to hang her hat on. (laughs) And in terms of that, because I'm processing those four artists in my head because lyrics is one thing and all four of those have outstanding lyrical output. But if we now look at that beat and look at the music there behind it, there is a carriage, and I use that word purposefully, of the songs as well. Yeah. Is that the sense you got when you were first discovering music through your mother's records? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I wasn't really thinking about it in terms of anything other than what made me excited at the time. And then I remember another memory is listening to the Forrest Gump soundtrack in probably, oh, when would that be, 98 or something like that. Um, And because the music coming out when I was young, I was born in 86, so there were boy bands, there were like divas, And I wasn't really taken by any of that music. I kind of thought I didn't like music in a way, like I didn't like what was happening then. And then I heard that soundtrack and the first song I think is Hound Dog by Elvis. And I remember just jumping on my bed up and down, so excited. And there's that energy and yeah, a real raw kind of feeling you get listening to it. I think whatever whatever we both like, my mother and I, it's to do with feeling and sense of urgency too I think the break that you've been on there's Mm -hmm. been a lot of changes through the last three or four years I'm very much saying that this conversation is about Tara Coates and Sub Rosa which is a new opening of your musical repertoire but with everything like that there is a past that comes before it so I'd like to address that of the last three or four years and particularly that of the impact of your father's brain tumour and the then passing of. Yeah, sure. How much did that influence your decision to put music on the back burner? I don't even think it was an actual uh, 
lucid decision that I made. It was just this needs to stop for a while and I can't write and I can't play. I did a gig maybe two weeks after he passed and I had a song uh, called Wicked World which I released an EP around that time when he was because he was ill for two years before he died so it was a long time coming Um, and I did that gig and I went yeah I'm not really it's not really helping me to continually sing about this stuff at this time I need to kind of just go to ground and look after myself which I didn't I threw myself into working and all the other things that you do to avoid feeling things but um yeah it took me a little while and I came out the other end of it but yeah I just could not was not in a position to continue at that time for those that haven't heard it what's the emotion that Wicked World was serving within you for its release I wrote it it's kind of retrospective but not at the same time so I'm talking about my dad in the past tense as if he's already gone but he was still alive at that time but he had the tumor he had was in the front of his brain which affected his ability to speak and think and he was a really intelligent articulate guy so it was almost like watching him exit the building before he even left so Wicked World kind of is in that weird place of limbo of being but not being and you're not the same person that you were before but I still love you and all that good stuff. (laughs) That means you had a chance to communicate that release at least in demo form to him. Yeah. Talk to us about the response from him if there was one. Yeah, well he was an understated man always anyway. Um, he was called Rowdy by his work colleagues because he was just very quiet and not that way. Welcome to Australia, folks. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Redhead, redheads are called Bluey That's and we're not right. going to change that. <laughs> yeah. So Rowdy was not that way. Um, but so he – and he was probably my number one supporter, ridiculously supportive. So I played him this song, Wicked World. It's about him. And he just went, yeah, it's good. <laughs> it It was always with my dad it was always what he was doing not what he was saying that kind of my brothers and I felt he's a good one he loves us you mentioned his intelligence though Mm -hmm. as the daughter how did you see that intelligence manifest he would be very much into making things like he the amplifier that I use on stage my dad put together for me and he did a computing science degree just for the hell of it because he was a bit bored and wanted to do something and just really and he was the president of my netball club and (laughs) he just did ridiculous amounts of things lovely dad I was very lucky to have had him for the time I did there's there's a lot of reading between the lines as to go oh yeah he's really he's really proud and he knows what I'm trying to say to him here and I and I really um am very grateful for the fact that I got to I got he got to see me play it live a few times and I explained to people um before I played it what was happening and the situation and stuff and so I really feel like we both had an understanding that there was nothing left unsaid when he did when he did pass why do you think it was that he had to be at that stage before 
that language was used? Uh, I think there was a just a what what's how to describe it? We just didn't think. We just thought we had time, you know. We did because uh, I think I was probably would have been just turned twenty nine when he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and they never said you might survive this. They always said this will uh, this will be it. And I mean, as a twenty year old, you don't really go. I better take stock here and I better tell my parents that I love them because they might not be around, especially when you have parents that are so involved in your life and and constant. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Well, how did you go getting through what could be the tumultuous 27 years of age? Mm -hmm. How did you go in your mid to late 20s before this was announced, before this was the issue? Yeah. How were you, Tara, going? I was all right. I think I was pretty selfish and self-centered because I did have a lot of things like my dad would look out for me still. Like in a lot of ways, I was still a child really and I had a lot of growing up to do in the years after that that I went, oh, hang on, I'm actually going to have to take care of myself, which is it's funny to think about because I would have always said back then, oh, no, I've I've got this, I'm cruising, I know what I'm doing. But looking back, I go, oh, wow, I didn't really, didn't really know what I was doing so much. And family-wise, there was a father, there's mm-hmm. a mother, mm-hmm. but there's some brothers, there's some siblings in there as well, though, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, I've got two older brothers. Did that add to that comfort that you had other people in your life that would look out for you as well? Kind of. I mean, they have always lived or had always lived. One lived in Sydney for 10 years and then the other one lives in Sweden with his family. So I think I was very much the focus of my parents because I was the one that was here. So, yeah, just soaking up that parental attention. (laughs) We're getting to that point of where you put the guitar up for a little while, for, for at least the, the singer-songwriter aspect of music. Yeah. And you mentioned previously that obviously you couldn't see him in the audience anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big one, especially in venues that I knew exactly where he'd be sitting with a video camera and recording the performance and stuff. Yeah, it's just all those little things that you need to adjust to moving forwards it's it's just constant I I heard Nick Cave was talking about after his son passed away mm. and he was saying grief is like a rubber band and sometimes it stretches and you are going along fine and you go oh yeah no I'm, I'm getting somewhere this and then it will snap back and you're right there in that day where they passed away you feel exactly the same way so there's always reminders I think that's a really really good way of describing grief actually it just it never goes away but you just learn to live with it because those that you care deeply are always at the periphery yeah and they have absolute right to be yeah. there because they're part of your life that they've made you dare i say who you are exactly yep yep so much of my dad as a person i can see in me now which i think is great because he's still here you know in a little way He's also, as you mentioned just there, with your amp. So he's on stage with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And he's on my new music, which is really cool. What was it that got you to the point 
that music re-entered post your father's passing, mm-hmm. that it was part of your life? Having my baby. Right. Yeah. Having everything stripped away that doesn't really matter and going, what do I care about? So I care about my family. I care about learning and being creative. So I was left with those two things. And I had a I had a cesarean and I had a f- full-on birth and everything so it really was what is there left <laughs> so, one, so once they cut you you can't that, get back yeah that's right and then you gotta look after them little buggers <laughs> crazy so <laughs> yeah so I think um I had I had Liam my son in June 25th of June last year and then by September I was writing again with renewed vigor <laughs> like with with your father and his way of being um, creative and, and making things yeah, yeah. with the words you said. This is a bit of you that's like him mm-hmm. about making things, about mm-hmm. sharing things. Is that what this new Tara Coates and Sub Rosa is about? Yeah, and it's leaving nothing unsaid and it's being unapologetically myself where my music in the past has always tried to be something else that I thought maybe would be palatable to to other people whereas now I'm going well what do I what do I really like and at the core of it what am I trying to express here first single it may just be due to the the ease of production of it and was first cab off the rank so to speak yes but at the same time I think it's very poignant that Mercy Me was the first single which is that song that you also dedicate to your father Mm -hmm. talk us through Mercy Me yeah so Mercy Me I wrote Actually, Mercy Me is an older one. So I wrote it a couple of years ago before Dad was even ill. What was happening at that time? So, so it's not related to that then? No. So I was, living, I was living down the road from where we are now, about five minutes away, by myself. I think it's just more of that exploration of trying to eliminate any outside critic and just go, well, what, I'm going to write a song. What is this song about? So I just sat down, started with the little riff that Mercy Me has throughout it and then I started singing the words and that is what popped out after the first verse. I went, oh, I'm writing a story about somebody who is in prison here. They're writing home to their family about regretting things and what they might have done differently. But I'm just drawn to drawn to stories of people that have some kind of conflict or struggle or something to sink my teeth into. What is your use of music, singing, songwriting and communicating within women's prisons? What do you do in that area? So I've done I've done a um, ukulele workshop. Encouraged to do that by Nancy Bates, who has, who is a local singer-songwriter who is also very talented and incredible. So she was running a series of workshops in the women's prison, basically just encouraging them to express themselves and be creative and have an hour where somebody outside of that prison environment was coming in and just speaking to them like they were a person Mm. which uh, is easier said than done sometimes so I had a session in there with the women and it's very interesting heading into that setting as opposed to just your regular Adelaide City Council (laughs) workshop Um, but I think the thing is that you were we were talking about Mercy Me there. Yeah. 
and the narratives of that. Yeah, that really, yeah, I, I will stand by every lyric of Mercy Me after speaking to those women, for sure. So you're in the women's prison environment, you're speaking with some women who might have a few weeks, months, mm. some years, decades to go on their sentences, I would think. Mm -hmm. That in itself, you as someone from the outside coming in is going to have a particular perspective for them as well. Yeah. Without speaking for them from your side, what's your understanding of what they were getting from the music education that you were providing them? I think the biggest thing is just a social outlet and some encouragement as well. And I was quite pregnant when I was in there and there was another woman who was quite pregnant too who was going to have a baby in prison. So that was a sobering thing for me. Mm. Um, it started out with very standoffish kind of stilted conversation and me almost going in there going, well, I have no business talking to these women and what, what could I possibly have to say? And by the end of it, we were all sitting on the floor in a circle singing You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones. So... <laughs> I just really, I, I liked that social element of it and just have somebody come in and listen and just have a chat. I'm not kidding myself that there's any kind of importance to me being there other than that. I think it's just, it was really nice to go in and be encouraging of them learning something new and, and say hello and have a sing and not judge anyone. There's also that issue of how important music is in terms of life journeys as well. So mm -hmm. I can imagine a song that you might be teaching them at this point in their life, when and if they are released from the prison environment they are, that that, like something in that periphery we were talking about before, will come back and yeah. spring to life for them. Yeah. So I wouldn't undervalue what work can be done within the prison yeah. system. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think it going in with an open mind and not really, I think not having to know too much about what they're dealing with, just kind of seeing them for who they are rather than what their sentence is. Hmm. And they can then take that take that away and go, well, I just had a nice chat with someone and, and, and I learned how to play. She was telling me that I was doing well and I could do that. You mentioned the Adelaide City Council, so we will touch on that and we'll move through. We're currently in conversation with Tara Coates of Tara Coates and the Sub Rosa. The debut under the name of that is Mercy Me. The follow-ups every day, any day, we'll get to that. And the brand new one, Rain. Let me ask you about the Adelaide City Council. What were you doing with them? So I did some guitar workshops with them. Guitar workshops, you go back to some of the first Adelaide Guitar Festivals, don't you? Yeah. 2010-ish? Yes, I do. Thanks yeah. for reminding me. <laughs> I do. I am a massive fan of the Adelaide Guitar Festival. And yes. disclaimer, I used to be working for the Adelaide City Council as hey. one of their youth coordinators. We had broadcasters in doing youth radio. Well, that's cool. You go into prisons and do more important stuff. Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so the Adelaide City Council, before we get to the Guitar Festival. I've just showed up and did my my regular, here's how you hold a guitar shenanigans let's talk about the adelaide guitar festival the 2018 mount gambia residency program that was part of the guitar festival and guitars in bars uh it was myself kelly manhannett emma luca and dylan woolcock also went over and we played a couple of gigs in places that don't normally have live music so we played in aged care facility 
What was that experience like? It was interesting. I found them to be very warm and open and just loving that there's music there in the first place. But again, I played Wicked World to them. So I was singing about imminent death <laughs> to, a, to a bunch of lovely residents in an in a, um, aged care facility. Hey-ho, it's coming soon. <laughs> Hey-ho, we all get to die. We all die. Yeah. We all die. I, yeah. sh- I should direct you to Deanne Smith's song about dying, which is, is pretty that, much that. that. One? <laughs> We're all going to die. That's You're so going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. And then Kelvin Hannah gets up and she's all lovely and warm and they're all going, oh, isn't she a nice young girl? Could have done without that one that was telling me I was about to die, but that's all right. Um, and we also played at the mental health facility in Mount Gambia too. And that was really fun. We had maybe we were about 10, 15 people we played to in the common area. And it was completely acoustic and we just went down the line. So I'd play one, Kel would play one. Emma and Dylan played one and then we go around and around but you can really interact with people look them in the eye talk to them again without any kind of you're not putting any stigma around mental health you're not talking you're not a counsellor going tell me how you feel what are you doing it's like just check this song out and they really were receptive to that and then you'd find often the quiet one in the back where you go, oh, were they into this or what? Would then at the end be so happy. Yeah, you just made their day by just going in and playing a song. It was really great. I, I will love those gigs far more than some of the other gigs I've played in a more traditional setting because people actually are listening for one and they really care and they really want to hear some music. You then also have under your belt that of being a tutor of guitar mm-hmm. and we're sort of in the studio space here today where I believe some of that sort of happens as well I, I saw a tweet from Sam Lesky that he was having guitar lessons with you I'm not sure which way that he went. was teaching me 2016 yeah I yeah I would in no way ever pretend to teach Sam Lesky guitar obviously you already knew how to play the guitar yeah what did Sam Lesky teach you in 2016 he was teaching me about improvising and playing melodic kind of solos when I was playing lead solos and a bit of chord substitutions. So playing different chords to what I would normally go to when I'm writing. Yeah, it was very beneficial actually. I really like to be constantly learning as a guitar player because you can learn every day for the rest of your life because that thing can sometimes not make any sense. Uh, that thing being the electric Gibson guitar and the guitar generally? Yeah, the guitar generally. So we've got the electric Gibson and the one that you're pointing at was the... That's my Dove, mm. my Gibson Dove acoustic. And then I have a Fender Telecaster as well. Just for the uh, the loud elements of your mother's influence. Correct. What do you enjoy teaching the next generation. I appreciate some of them might be older than mm-hmm. yourself, but particularly those of the next generation. I enjoy teaching them whatever they want to learn. So I will sit down with a student and ask them specifically why they're playing guitar and what they want to achieve, and then I'll help them achieve it. What's the most common response to that question of why? Most kids just want to play songs that they like, that they've heard. It's more the adults that I teach that have been playing for 30 odd years or whatever that come back and go, look, I've been playing, I've been strumming, doing the same thing for 
for 30 years, what am I missing? What can I be doing differently? And some people want to learn theory and to read music. Other people don't. I usually will just entertain whatever they want is what's going to make them have a good time, which is why they're there. And then I'll try and squeeze a bit of theory in without them knowing if they don't want to learn it. (laughs) How many of those are actually interested in original songs out Um, of the process? I think it's something that generally comes up later. Yeah, people don't really feel confident sometimes to come in and go, I want to write my own songs. And sometimes people don't actually realise they want to until I show them how they can do it and then they go oh it's a it's a smaller percentage of people that are interested in writing their own songs you're not unusual to the covers yourself in fact you've been called the only pregnant john lennon on stage (laughs) as part of the lady beatles yes self-appointed i believe i called myself that that was my first band are you a john a ringo a jimmy or a john sorry george or george yeah I was going to say. At least I got Jimmy in. Jimmy. Jimmy. He was the drummer that filled in for Ringo when he got his tonsils out. Jimmy somebody. Jimmy Nickel performed. Jimmy Nickel, yeah. There was a Jimmy. Anyway, so early days, John Lennon all the way. Getting older. John Lennon as a Beatle or solo? Both. Right. All the way. And then as I get older, George Harrison as a person because I feel like he was a bit of a nicer person controversial I know but I feel like he was more willing to grow as a person the latest single from you Tara Tara Coates is Every Day Anyway I've been mm. trying to figure out the ins and outs of what it's about and it's unfair because the song stands on its own and has its own meaning to different people What is it about? Well, the verse is about absolutely nothing because I was sitting in this very room and I looked over at some sheet music which had breathing in and out as the title of the sheet music and so I just sang that over the chords that I was playing at the time. Isn't that a children's lullaby? Yes, from Nat Barsh. Um, She is a Melbourne-based piano player and she's incredible. So she did an album of music to be played while you're still pregnant and then when the baby comes along they can recognize familiar tunes and it soothes them and oh my god it soothes them it really works i love it how good how far did you test this principle did you only play x songs at one month x songs at three months y songs at, (laughs) at, at you know eight and a half well i had it in the car when i was in the final stages of my pregnancy and then I would play it next to him, like I had on my phone, just going when he would not sleep. And it worked. But later on, they don't sleep as much as they do in the beginning. So it doesn't work as well now because he can walk now. So he's like, I don't want to sleep. I want to walk places. But do you reckon, based upon this principle, Mm. if you played him songs back from two-month pregnant, he would go... That's a classic tune. That's a two-month banger. I don't know. He might. <laughs> he, I don't know if he has ears at two months. You got married. Sure did. You married one of the band members. 
I did. Controversial. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had always been together, to be fair. Hey, uh, we've known each other since 2009, so he's been around a while. How did it feel to get married? Good. Yeah. If I mean, I, I didn't ever really grow up going, I'm going to get married one day and putting all my stock in that. But it was just nice because we knew we were going to have a baby. Nice to have a little day with our family that we celebrate and go, yeah, we're, we're a family now. We had a, a morning tea ceremony and uh, had some sandwiches afterwards. Everyone those, was gone by like two. It was great. A lot of those ceremonies happening during this, this time. Yeah. Dorian, which see? we're not going to talk about, but yeah, a lot of that the going times. on. The times. We time. were well ahead of the, uh, the trend there. <laughs> something blue in the mix or not? Yeah, there was. Wait, there was something blue. Did you go with that tradition, something new, something blue? Yeah, my bridesmaids, they uh, hooked me up with that. Oh, Kylie will kill me. I don't know. I think it was a brooch. Okay. So what is it? Something blue, something new. Something old and something borrowed. Borrowed, yeah. Yeah, so the the brooch was borrowed. So it was ticking both boxes, borrowed and blue. Efficient. Yeah, it was. I don't know what the old thing was. What way did your father attend the wedding? He was in a little montage of photos and my friend Charlie who walked me down the aisle had his tie on I believe and um, he was mentioned in our speeches also let me ask you about Tara Coates and Sub Rosa who's mm-hmm. in the band what's the lineup like give us a bit of a lowdown all right so we have Richard Coates uh, Gilly Atkinson who also drummed on Wicked World Sam Cagney, who is an incredible guitarist. Mark Seddon, who was the bass player on Wicked World also. Emma Luca, incredible violin player. And I also had guest vocals by Sky Compson-Harris. Where do we know Sky from? She is her own uh, entity. She's done a lot of gigs since she was a puppy. So she's been around for a long, long time. She's got a band called Sky Blue that do um, residencies blues band and she's had her own releases too she recorded an album in nashville a few years back mercy me as we said was the first singles and very much an acoustic song yes but you've worked previously with sam britain uh Brittain, yes and there's a nine track with sam britain coming out i guess under the band or persist that you used to have so we started writing together a few years back my husband Richard has played in Sam's band before, so he said suggested that we get together and write. We did that, and then we wrote a song in about 40 minutes and then subsequently caught up a few other times and, and the same thing happened and we went, actually, these are really good. So we're going to finish off... Um, we've recorded half of about nine tracks that we are envisaging we will release sometime in the not-too-distant future under the name East of Everything. What's the process of putting a recording out under that umbrella? So usually what happens is that I will have the beginnings of a song that I haven't really thought too much about. So I have like a fragment of a verse or a bit of a chorus and then Sam will come around 
and then we'll kind of throw ideas back and forth and the song will then be written very much as a 50-50 thing. So Mercy Me I brought to the table having written the words and the chords and stuff. So it's a very much a different arrangement of that one that you'll be hearing. Such a weird thing because I very much struggle to write songs with other people but something about when Sam and I write together it just is very organic and it happens pretty easily not that you're not but he's one of the state's finest songwriters yeah so you're very lucky to team up with him as well maybe he's very lucky to team up with me did you ever think of that one huh huh well, i was huh? getting huh? to that yeah i know sorry <laughs> <laughs> what have you learnt from having a son or or just having a child even relinquish control and all thoughts of needing to control a situation because you can't do it and that's a good thing I think because you mentioned that you come from a family of a little few words that of your father particularly in terms of those affections yeah well that too yeah I I hug the absolute poo out of my son not literally just figuratively because that would be gross and I tell it him I love him. It would hurry the process him. up, though. It sure would. Imagine Pot- if he could do that. We're going to leave the house, son. Potty, potty time involves <laughs> this is a happening. squeeze. <laughs> I was holding him last night because that's how he goes to sleep at the moment is with the cuddle from mum. And I was having a slight existential crisis and remembering words that dad said to me after he got diagnosed, like the day of him being diagnosed. He said, it's all well and good for me to shuffle off, but I'm leaving you behind. And I looked at my son and I went, oh, this, I'm in deep here. (laughs) This is a whole different kind of loving, wanting to be there. And I've made you and I'm going to make you be in this pain eventually. (laughs) Like it was a really messed up thing. And then I went out and I went, I may be overthinking it, but, um, yeah, there's so many reality checks that come with being a parent where you go, oh, this is for real. This isn't a game. We need to love hard while we're here. Tara Coates, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Tara from Tara Coates and Sub Rosa. Current single is Rain. Keep an eye out for another cut out soon called All Fall Down, then the bed we made from them. They can be found online at taracoatesandsubrosa.com. Thanks very much to Tara Coates and for inviting us into her studio space. Next time... When we got out there, I just sort of involved myself in just all little farming stuff, which is obviously, you know, a connection back to my childhood and where I, where I grew up. So I was building chicken pens and veggie patches and, and my daughter's got a horse and and I've still got the horse that the fans bought me in 2013 for the 10th anniversary of the show. They bought me a, a young Appaloosa filly, and she's just a gorgeous horse. So my wife sort of claims her now, but just to have the horses here with us and be able to just go out the back. Shannon Knoll will be our feature guest. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 